You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. And this time I invite Megan to come share the reading with us this morning from Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Thank you, Megan. All right, well, here we are. When the cat's away, you get me. But it's nice to think about, actually, that the series this past six weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And I got to share the first message on that back in September. And we didn't intentionally plan it this way, but it's nice that I get to also Now tie things up here at the back end of looking at Abraham's life. So just as a matter of review, where we've been up until this point is we looked at Abram, not Abraham at that time, Abram being called by God. And God meets him in a a unique way and calls him out of the land he's in, away from the family he's from, and to go to a place that God calls him to. And Abram went, and those are some powerful words from that passage, that from the very beginning we recognize the faithfulness of Abraham. And then further on from that, he separates from his nephew Lot, and then we read of the Lord's covenant with Abraham. And a significant part of that has to do with people, with descendants, with land, with blessing, And then we looked a couple weekends ago at Hagar and Ishmael. We saw how Abram and Sarai 
didn't see God's word coming to fulfillment on their timetable, so they chose to take matters in their own hands. And repercussions of that far outlasted both Abraham and Sarah's life. And then we got to where we were last week, and I'd just like to read a few verses from Genesis 17, verses 4 through 8. This is God speaking to Abraham. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So we get in that some very significant pieces of the name changes. The promise of Isaac is also in that chapter. There's fruitfulness, the covenant between God and Abraham and God and Abraham's descendants and land coming to those people as well. And then we don't cover it in our study this last month, but Isaac does get born. So we see that in chapter 21, immediately preceding where we're at now, chapter 22. And here we are, and I'll just say from the beginning, this can be a challenging or confusing passage, a bit of a head-scratcher. Why would God tell Abraham to kill his son? And it might seem so foreign and just off to us that it's easy to check out and move on to the next story. But I encourage us all to really hopefully through this morning kind of dig in deeper, understand more of Abraham, of what was going on between him and God, him and his son Isaac, and really seeing God's move throughout this and what we can learn not only about them but how to apply in our own life. So we will start with the end in mind. If you were trying to read ahead to the end of the book, this is what I'll say at the end. May we learn to listen to God and respond to God in faithful obedience. That's a key point from this whole passage of hearing God and responding to God in faithful obedience. Now, I can think of a a modern-day example of a man of great faith, and his name is Lauren Cunningham. So Lauren Cunningham was the co-founder of Youth with a Mission, It's an international missions organization. And Lauren was a young man back in the 50s. He since recently, he just passed away this past month. But early on in his life as a young man, he experienced what he described as a moving picture in his mind, like a vision. It was a vision of waves. And as he saw more, it was waves of young people going to the nations for the sake of the gospel. Lauren chose to follow God. He had this opportunity set up with family to go a certain trajectory that would have been pretty lucrative and beneficial for him in a financial and social aspect, but he decided to follow after God. But he did have that question after he saw that picture, is that really you, God? He wondered, was this actually what God was saying? And indeed it was. And Lauren chose a resounding, persistent yes to God. And that yes carried him to every nation on earth. And that yes carried out in remarkable ripple effects that continue to this day. 
When YWAM turned 50 years old, there were more than 18,000 staff in over 1,200 locations across the globe focused on training and sending young people for the sake of the gospel. And since turning 60, there have been millions of people who have gone through YWAM's discipleship training school. And I am one of those millions. So I know you might be surprised, but wasn't the coolest guy in high school (laughs) or most of life. That has remained true to this day. But yeah, six months after graduating, I boarded a plane to New Zealand and embarked on a life-changing, life-marking journey. And as evidence, you know, not a real huge friend group that I was leaving behind, but I had Pinky, my companion, the little ball, and Pinky was faithful and traveled with me all around the globe. But I wasn't, in the beginning, headed to New Zealand. It was not my plan. But we'll catch up to the rest of that story at the end of our message time here. As we look ahead at this passage, we can see three major parts. There's a presentation of the test, compliance with the instructions, and approval of the compliance. So God presented this test to Abraham. And Abraham responded in faith, and God approved of that obedient, faithful action. I would say that Lauren Cunningham heard God and obeyed. And absolutely, we know that Abraham heard God and obeyed. Perhaps it is better said that Abraham listened to God and obeyed. I think there's a difference between hearing and listening. I remember when Larissa and I were early on in our marriage, didn't have kids yet, and we were at a friend's house that had uh, young kids in their home, and I noticed a sign in their kitchen that said, delayed obedience is disobedience. And as a young couple, I thought, you know, that, there's probably something to that. And now we've got a couple of kids running around, and they hear me all the time. They don't listen to me all the time. There is something to that listening, that responsive obedience to the authority. In this case, Abraham to God. And we can see Abraham listening and obeying God as evidence of this living, active relationship that Abraham had with God. It wasn't just a significant moment in his life where he was called by God and then just kept going his own way. Uh, This is evidence of that continued living, active relationship between Abraham and God. Abraham feared God, and there is no evidence of Abraham wavering in his faith or ever doubting God. So as we open Genesis 22, we don't exactly know how much time has passed between Isaac being born in Genesis 21 and where we're at in the story in 22. It's likely that Isaac is an adolescent, seeing that he's able to carry and endure carrying a load of wood up a mountain on a multi-day journey. But we as the reader do know clearly that what proceeds will be a test for Abraham. It's in black and white for us that God is testing Abraham, that this is a test. And if you're of an age where you don't know what that is, that's okay. (laughs) You can ask other people. (laughs) And as such, because this is a test, this can be a difficult and confusing text for us to read in our modern-day Western, in this case, lenses. But nonetheless, it is one that is very significant and meaningful when we see its place in the overarching story of Scripture. 
And we just, again, to, to hit it from the top, that the message of God clear throughout Scripture is to not sacrifice children. If you want to look them up, Deuteronomy 12.31, Deuteronomy 18.10, Leviticus 18.21, instances where we see it explicitly commanded, do not sacrifice your children. That's how others were worshiping false gods. And that wasn't the way to worship God. So again, when we have that in our minds and we're reading this passage, it can be hard to try to reconcile the two. But let's still stay tuned in to see what God is doing in this. And this test was designed to see to what extent would Abraham obey. Would he cling or would he obey and release? You know, the son was promised to him. He already took matters in his own hand. That wasn't the way to go. Now he's actually got the fruit of this promise in hand. And it would be so easy to cling and hold on to. But we see in this passage that he chooses to let go. And I think it's interesting to point out the parallel between the beginning of this chapter in verse 2 and the very first verse in chapter 12 where we started. It's God telling Abraham to go from where he is to go to a land, to a region, to a place that God will show him. Abraham was quick to obey in both circumstances. So there's some other initial observations that we can make from reading this passage. We see these significant themes of covenant, of sacrifice, and that phrase, one and only son, or your only son. In Genesis 15, we read of a covenant made between God and Abraham. A significant piece of this covenant is a flesh and blood heir and the promise of countless descendants. Again, this was spoken to a man that had zero descendants. Another significant piece of that covenant was land. Land that would not be given to Abraham, but to his descendants. Here in the test found in Genesis 22, we see what would appear to be a significant disruption to those promises. If not a disruption, it surely looks like it's the end or cancellation of those promises completely. The promises of God could have appeared to be coming to an end, in that God instructed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. In sacrificing Isaac, there would be no direct descendant from Abraham and Sarah. In sacrificing Isaac, how could there then be many descendants of Abraham that would be too many to count? In sacrificing Isaac, who would be there to inherit the land that God promised to Abraham's descendants? So when Abraham heard this word and responded in faith, going to this mountain, taking the wood, taking the fire, taking his son, we have to wonder, was he expecting a resurrection? Was he thinking, well, if if God's asking me to sacrifice Isaac and all this promise is coming from Isaac, then maybe Isaac is going to be raised from the dead. We don't exactly know what was going on in Abraham's head, but clearly Abraham responded to God in unwavering and faithful obedience. And that phrase, one and only son, will stand out to us who have both books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Again, the story of Abraham has a significant place in the whole story of the Bible. So when we hear one and only son, we probably can't help but think of Jesus, the one and only son of God who was utterly obedient to his father, even to the point of being offered in sacrifice. The parallelism found here 
and the connection from the life of Abraham to the life of Jesus is no accident. We read the first part of Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So already, early on in Genesis, the first book of Scripture, we see this foreshadowing of what God is going to do to redeem creation who has fallen, who has gone disobedient to God, and has chosen to go their own way. And we see the significance of death, of sacrifice, and the potential of life and resurrection. There is another clear connection to make from a phrase that stands out in this passage. And that phrase is, on the third day. So not only does it stand out to us, but it would also be very clear to early readers of both the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. So we can think of Jonah and the three days in the belly of the great fish that he was in before he was effectively brought to new life and being spit out. Also, the prophet Hosea spoke of God's restorative work for Israel as occurring on the third day. And of course, we remember that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day in triumphant victory over death and every aspect of the evil one. So we, as today's reader, can join an early audience and generations of Scripture readers in recognizing that this story concerning Abraham and Isaac will not end in death, but in life. Effectively, what Abraham was doing was he bound up his future and the promise of God in faithful obedience. This was the greatest test of Abraham's life. After finally receiving the promise, he was to give his son back to God through sacrifice. Of all these years of not seeing this promise come to fruition, of seeing the mistake of how he went his own way, God has blessed him with this son, Isaac. And now there he is, laying him on the altar. By releasing his own son, he gains a multitude of offspring. That willingness to trust and obey God, trusting that God is faithful and true, even when it doesn't make sense to him, he's operating in faithfulness himself. And we see ultimately the great blessing that comes afterward. And Abraham's focus was on the giver, not on the gift. As much as Isaac represented an extremely important and valuable and crucial gift, his focus was mostly, mainly, on God, the giver. And as we read through the passage, you can see verses 9 through 10, it's almost like things slow down. It's this descriptive, almost prolonged description of what Abraham's doing. When they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So it's very visual and impactful that we can understand what's happening what's leading up to this point. But it is God himself who will provide the lamb. This passage portrays an obedient servant worshiping God in faith at great cost, and God provided for the sacrifice. You see that faith demonstrated by Abraham when he tells the other servants in verse 5, we will come back 
not I will come back, or I hope we both get back. We will come back. The one who fears God, that is the faithful worshiper, will obediently surrender to God whatever he asks, trusting in God's promises of provision and blessing. I would say that both Abraham and Isaac exercised trusting obedience in their father. Isaac took this journey with Abraham. He sees the wood, he sees the fire, he sees the knife, sees the rope, and he asks, where is the lamb? And his father tells him that God will provide the lamb. Even as he himself is being laid on the altar with his father ready to make the sacrifice of him. So what about us? Those who believe in the Lord claim to obey God's word, or at least agree to it, but to what extent will we obey? This passage shows that the faithful worshiper will hold nothing back, but will obediently give to God whatever he asks, trusting that the Lord will provide. We can think again, fast-forwarding to Jesus, talking with the rich young ruler He's doing life right. He's doing it well, following the law. But what is he lacking to gain eternal life? And Jesus tells him to part with that which he holds most dearly and follow Jesus. And in that case, that man couldn't do it. He wasn't willing to obey in complete, full obedience. The Lord calls believers to obey his instructions, including a surrender of self, of our possessions, honoring him, being devoted to him. And this step means letting go of personal possession, personal ambition, or personal direction that seems clearly to be from God. The sacrifice of something dear to the heart like that could be as difficult for us as it was to see in Abraham's mind at that point the letting go of his own son. Christ's requirement for disciples allowed no rival loyalties. It was living with Jesus as Lord and Lord alone, not holding anything back to Jesus. Again, we see the call of discipleship, the cost of discipleship, is really an entering into death, that Jesus calls his disciples to take up their cross, to deny themselves, and follow after him. And we see that modeled perfectly and ultimately in Jesus, in his own sacrifice, in his death. The Christian life became a life of worship in which the true worshipers feared the Lord and surrendered themselves to him. God sees. God knows. God intervenes. A piece of advice or wisdom that a pastor once shared with me that has really stuck in my mind is that it's okay to pass the test the first time. How many of us have encountered something and you know, we've, we haven't succeeded in that as we wish to? And boy, the next time that comes around, we're ready to do this right this time. And it's okay to pass the test the first time before going around the mountain and, and encountering it again. So again, you saw that picture of me as an 18-year-old boarding that airplane in that airport, and I was headed to New Zealand, although that was not my plan. It was not my intention to go there. 
I knew I wanted to be a part of YWAM and do a discipleship training school for reasons that, kind of a long story to make short now, I wanted to go to Panama, and I was all set in place for that, and I had plane tickets purchased, I had paid for my course, and then I thought one day, about nine months in advance, I should probably pray and and ask God what he thinks about this, and uh, it was amazing. I, I did bring that to the Lord in prayer, and amazingly, not like you're hearing me, but as clear as I'd ever heard God up until that point, I heard two words, and that was New Zealand. And now most people probably wouldn't need the word of the Lord to, to go to New Zealand. That There's very little excuse needed to, to go to that beautiful country. But for me, it was a completely foreign, bizarre-sounding, far-off place. And most importantly, it was not my plan. I was dead set on Panama. So I ignored it, went my own direction, kept plodding along. And when, you know, the day after Christmas, about two weeks before I'm supposed to get on that plane to go to Panama, I get an email saying, your course has been canceled because of... Uh, not enough attendance. And so I literally dropped to my knees and I said, God, I, I surrender this to you. I will follow you. And I did go to New Zealand and he provided for everything that I needed to get there in a very short amount of time. And it's just remarkable. God's grace, his goodness, and his provision. And the beauty of that surrender, of that sacrifice unto him. The Lord will provide. And he has provided. Jesus, God's only son, was given for us as the true, ultimate, once and for all sacrificial lamb. At the heart of God's program of blessing is sacrifice. And although it looks like the way of failure, you know, Jesus is the hero of that story and he dies. That doesn't look like what the Messiah was anticipated to look like, that he would die. But in God's marvelous dealings, it is the way of victory. That it didn't end in death, but in life. And we can receive provision. Provision of forgiveness, of redemption by God, of wholeness of relationship together with him, and living with him forever. And that's something for each of us to enter into, questioning, have I done that with God? If I haven't done that yet, what is standing in the way that would prevent me from entering into that wholeness and freedom in his provision. And this is what we've looked at this whole six weeks, is a relationship with God. That's what we've described as Abraham's reward. Seeing from the beginning to this end now for us in our study of his life, of seeing Abraham and his reward, that relationship with God, something available for each of us to enter into, to be like Abraham who is faithful in a living, active relationship ongoing with God. Faithful believers are willing to surrender their best to God, trusting that the Lord will provide. So may we, in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, our church community. May we listen to God and respond to him in faithful obedience. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the life of Abraham. Thank you for your word to us in this passage. God, I thank you for your provision, how good you are, that you don't fall short, that you don't fail us in any way. 
Lord, may we be people who respond in utter faithful obedience to you, not missing out on a single thing that you would have for us. And Lord Jesus, thank you for being that sacrificial lamb that we can come to the Father in wholeness of relationship because of you. Lord, I pray that each one of us would draw closer to you in faith and respond to you in obedience every time you call. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.